0: series titled Flipping Through Philippians. This is the second to last message. If you didn't, I'm going to do a little review, but if you didn't catch any of the messages, I really encourage you and turn me up really a, a lot. I'm, I'm not hearing myself enough. Um, if you haven't checked out any of the messages, I really encourage you, even if you have, if you've been here, Listen to these messages over and over again. Get them in your spirit. Get them in the soul. One of the things that we've been doing through the book of Philippians is just kind of exegetically touring the book of Philippians. Kind of just going verse by verse and taking the themes and all of what that means. We we talked about a couple weeks ago, gave a foundation in the first message about what the book of Philippians is. It was started out of Acts chapter 16 when Paul gets a Macedonian call to go to Macedonia. He goes to the chief city, which is named Philippi, causes a bunch of trouble, gets arrested, and a church is birthed because good things can happen out of hard times. Um, what's important to note is that many of us are Christians because of Acts 16. How did I get that? Philippi was the first place in Europe that Paul ever preached. He established the church there. If you know anything about European revival or church history, uh, there are so many in credit from, uh, I almost started naming names and not let me not do that, um, but the the One of the denominations that was started was the Methodist denomination. The Methodist denomination, on top of doing a lot of the helps ministries like Salvation Army and different things, they were really pivotal in the gospel going around America with the circuit riders. The circuit riders were these ragtag preachers who would get on a horse and start traveling. My great, I think it was my great-grandfather was actually a circuit rider. Um, And so I've got that history in my bloodline. And so we can trace all of that revival, what we experience Really, because we as Americans have gotten the gospel from England, of course, that was really birthed here in Acts chapter 16 in the book of uh, uh, in uh, in the city of Philippi. With that said, remember that Philippi, and I'm just gonna give it a little foundation and then we'll get into today's message. Uh, with the book of Philippi, you have to remember that the city of Philippi is a very nationalistic city. Uh, it was known for having a lot of retired army veterans that lived there. And so they were all about Rome, they were all about nationalism. And Paul goes there in the midst of it and he starts preaching about another kingdom. He starts preaching that we are not of this world, that we've been actually made citizens of a different nation, and that nation is heaven. And he tells us that because he's trying to encourage the church of Philippi. Because not only is the church of Philippi somewhat new, they're only a couple years old. Paul's in jail writing the book of Philippians. Uh, They're going through major persecution. There's this guy named Nero, who's Caesar at the time. And Paul would actually end up losing his life being beheaded by Caesar, uh, Nero. Uh, But they were doing excruciating things. Uh, Nero was known for having eventually lost his mind. Literally, just kind of figuratively, rather, lost his mind. Uh, It was believed that when Paul preached, something happened, something. If you read history or do a little study on this, up until the time Paul preaches to Nero, everything seems to be okay with him. But after that, something seems to flip. At the end of his reign, he would actually burn the city of Rome. Uh, and he was known, it was really still crazy, but he was so crazy that he played a fiddle, he played a violin as this city was burning that he caused to burn. And so the church of Philippi is going through major persecution. They know that Paul is in jail, and you remember in jail in Roman uh, day, you didn't have any rights. And so Rome didn't have to feed you, they didn't have to clothe you. That was the responsibility of your friends, family, and loved ones. Um, Paul especially loved the Church of Philippi, uh, and you can almost read this because the book of Philippians is not very long. If you read the book of Philippians all the way through, because when Paul originally writes it, it's not a chapter and verses and books. Remember, it's one big letter, and if you read it as one big letter, it almost sounds like Paul is thanking the Church of Philippi, like it's a thank you letter, which is only interesting because when I read the other books that Paul writes, are you guys still with me? Okay, we good. When, when I read the other books that Paul writes, he rebukes them. He admonishes them, even throws out a few encouragements. But with the Church of Philippi, he has very little to criticize them on. He does talk to them about some brewing disunity that's starting to swell up, and he's telling them to hold on. But really, he's saying thank you, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have food. You sent food. You sent care goods. You, you took care of me. And I think that's so important during pastor's appreciation that the pastor who founded the Church of Philippi is in, in trouble, and they don't cancel him. They love on him. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm blessed to have a church that loves me, and you guys are amazing. Uh, but I know so many pastors who are going through struggles alone. They find themselves in prison, and they're by themselves because pastors are strong enough to handle it. I'm so thankful that I get asked several times a week, Pastor, how are you doing? just checking in on you. Don't want anything. Don't want to tell you about my worst day in history. Just want to love on you. And that's so important that Paul, that's almost why Paul gets so appreciative because Paul was used to when he would go to jail, you got the Judaizers and the different ones who we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, Andrew mentioned them last week. He has all these people that would try all these crazy things. So he's grateful that the church in Philippi is staying true to the gospel, staying true to his leadership. They're not questioning his apostleship, which was very normal in that day. And so, The letter of Philippians, that's why you're not going to get much. You should do this. And this is what you need to do, because they were seemingly doing all right in the first couple of years. Uh, And by the way, the church of Philippi really was founded on women. it's, It's not women's month, but that's a big deal that the first people that Paul approaches about the church is this woman named Lydia and her small group. Uh, They were having small group fellowship over by the riverbank because in order to have a synagogue uh, by by tradition, you had to have at least 10 men. So it was assumed that they didn't have men, uh, enough Jewish men to have a synagogue there in Rome or in Philippi. And so these women are hanging out by the riverbank and Paul doesn't care if they're women. I know a lot of people think that Christianity suppresses women. They haven't read the whole Bible. Uh, Christianity has been one of the first and only re- religions to, uh, uh, to ordain women leadership, to empower women. And we might have messed it up doctrinally along the way, but I think that's so important that the, 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 the church in Philippi was started by the women and the person who put Paul in jail. <laughs> He's like, I have no enemies. And this is just a quick question for you. Do you have enough grace in you to minister to your enemies? I know it's very popular to cut them off, but what if you're cutting off people God's called you to minister to? If you read church history, it was actually believed that that jailer in in, in Acts chapter 16 that arrested Paul was one of the leading elders in the early part of the church. Him and his family was baptized, and Paul had enough in him to say, I don't hold any animosity against you because this life isn't about me. I' don't, I'm not getting offended here. I just want you to get saved. All right. So we come to the book of Philippians, and remember he's in jail, and he's not just in jail. He's being, uh, he's being watched over by what would be the secret service of Philippi. They are the, the emperor's guards as they were Caesar's guards, rather, as they were known. They're taking six hour increments to being chained up to Paul because Paul was known for escaping jail. <laughs> Bars couldn't hold him down. And so they're chained up, locked up for six-hour increments. And the reason I paint that picture for you is because I want you to remember, most people believe that Paul had messed up vision, and so he had somebody writing for him. He had an assistant. And so you have to imagine that as he's tied up with this jailer, this secret service agent, I want you to picture this. He's not writing the book of Philippians. He's orating it. Could you imagine? Because if you remember back in chapter 1, Paul starts talking about the very guards that he's chained up against. He starts saying things like, even Caesar's guards see the work that's being done here, right? (laughs) It's like they're chained up together, and that's the picture that's being painted. And the reason I paint that picture is because there's three themes that I see in the book of Philippians. The first and major theme, over 19 times do you see the word joy or rejoicing. Paul, you are locked up in jail. Could you imagine being the jailer and hearing Paul say, don't worry about me because I'm rejoicing. (laughs) Another freebie for you. When you're going through trial, do you look like it? One more time. When you're going through trial, do you look like it? We should not look like everybody else when we're going through trials. We should have a different joy. You may hate your dead-end job. But Paul says this life isn't about this life. It's really about the internal life. So there's joy that should be arising. And I want to know, are, are are the people around you, do they know when you're suffering and struggling because you just want everybody to know? Or, or have you found a joy and a peace that can only be found in Christ? Say yes. Yeah. Then we come to Philippians chapter 3, which I won't preach the whole thing because... Uh, Andrew did such a phenomenal job. And just to kind of review what he talked about, and I'm going to kind of treach today is is the the term. I'm going to teach a little bit. I'm going to preach a little bit because I want to encourage you. I believe God wants to put some strength in us. So last week, and I won't do too much of it because he's smarter than I am, and I jack it up. You can go back on the podcast to check it out. But Andrew talked about uh, really the first half, and I'm going to read it a little bit. uh, But he talked about how Paul is telling him, you've been holding on to these old things. And that's been your faith. But God is teaching you a new way. And he really talked about renewal or what I would call really repentance or the changing of your mind and allowing those old things that you've held on to to feel safe, to let them go and cling to the cross. So before it was your career, it was success. It was being successful that you held on to. But in Christ, we release those things and hold on to Christ. If you believe that, say yes. Yes. So let's read at the top of chapter three of Philippians. Y'all ready to go? so I'm going to first read 1 through 11 to just kind of review it because I I don't want to teach it too much because Andrew did a really good job. But here's what it says. And y'all love the word, right? Awesome. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. He's saying, I want you to know that the thing that's going to keep your faith up is maintaining your joy. Verse two, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Verse three, for we worship by the spirit of God and the ones who uh, the ones who are truly circumcised. We are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reasons for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Watch what Paul's about to do. He's about to spit his spiritual resume. Verse five, I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I am a pure-blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there were uh, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and that's a gentle way to put it. He was killing literally the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Let me tell you what Paul's saying here. There are a group known as the Judaizers, and they were preaching a message that you could be a Christian if you obeyed Jewish law. And so they were saying, especially when Paul, they would follow Paul. Uh, that's why he calls them uh, dogs. The, the term there, it, it's, this, uh, it's referencing not just a normal kind of keepsake dog that you guys love to call your emotional support. Um, but, <laughs> Okay must have a lot of emotional support dogs in here. I felt offense. fence. All right. But these were like street dogs that go after anything because they're hungry. And Paul says those are like the Judaizers who keep coming around and they're telling you you're having to do all these things. They tell you that you have to get circumcised. You don't have to be circumcised. You are. And all the men said, amen. amen. Say it louder, men. Amen. amen. <laughs> we don't have to be circumcised. Here's what Paul says. We are the circumcised of God. That it's, it's no longer about the outer appearance. It's now about what God has done in the heart. Then he goes on to say, if you want to talk about resume, you want to talk about following the law, listen, here's what he says. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day because every child, or every boy rather, <laughs> that was born on the eighth day, he had to be circumcised. Not only that, I'm a pure blood, a citizen of Israel. It was very known that sometimes like even Timothy, his father was Greek and his mother was Jewish. Uh, I feel really teachy today. I hope I'm not giving you guys too much. But Paul's saying, I'm not one of those. I'm pure-blood Jewish. Not only that, he says, I'm a member of Israel, a tribe of, Israel, tribe of Benjamin, rather. Why is that so important? Because uh, the tribe of Benjamin, when the tribes divided, were the only ones to go with Judah. Everybody else kind of backslid. And if you do your history, and I read all of this, I, I looked through it to try to find it, not once did the 10 other tribes outside of Judah and Benjamin ever have a good king. All of the kings of the other tribe were displeasing. And Paul says, my family came from the right one. He's letting them know I've got stock in this game. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I love that language. I was a member of the Pharisees. I was one of the religious leaders who demanded the strictest obedience. I was going around. I used to be one of you guys. I was religious, legalistic. And I want you to know that none of it matters because we have become the circumcised of God. Paul's not saying this so that he can boast. He's saying this because he's about to flip the script. He's going to say, I'm, I'm what you're preaching we should become. I was that. Now look at verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, and I don't like this translation. It says worthless. Another translation says, I count it all as dung. Dung in the original Greek means poop. He says, Everything that I used to do, all of my religious works, it's like dung. I, I need you to visualize this for a second. Have you ever stepped in dog poop? Do you ever celebrate it? It's always annoying, it's always smelling. You can always see it smell its stench paul says that's what my works were like in the past it wasn't good they they were annoying stinky little things that's the nice way to put it (laughs) verse 8 yes everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing christ jesus my lord for his sake I I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Verse 9, and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Now, we're used to this kind of language because we're part of the New Testament church if you're part of dispensation theology. But what I want you to understand is that this is new for the church of Philippi. They're, they're still figuring out Christianity. They don't all get it right away. Paul's writing letters and discipling them. And so you got to understand, some of them might be leaning towards believing, yeah, maybe we do have to be circumcised. Maybe we, we do have to do these works. And Paul says, no, no, I want you to be confident of this, that none of that matters, that it is a new day. And let's read these last few verses. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer. With him, sharing his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to preach on verse 12. But before I preach on verse 12, let me tell you, there is no resurrection without death. Many of us want the rainbow without the rain. But if you want resurrection power, you've got to die. I say that because look at me for a second. Everything that you've gone through up, the, up until this point. If you've done it successfully in terms of suffering, you've become greater. You've become stronger. Thank you for the two witnesses. I thought I would have more than that. But I know you're an intercessor now, but you learned how to pray because there was a point you had to pray. Come on. He was getting on your nerves and you were thinking about slapping him five times in a Wednesday. But you learned how to pray. You didn't know how to fast before your bills were due. Something about those bills that, well, I just, I'm, I don't know if I'm not eating because I'm poor or because, but I'm accounted as a fast. You, you learn how to get, you learn how to worship, not through the good times. You learn how to worship with tears falling down your eyes because you were going through so much pain that you didn't know where else to turn to Jesus. But understand something. That if you suffer well, there is resurrection after death. That's I mean, Jesus died so that we could be saved, but it's a metaphor for everything that we ever go through. That if death, if he's won victory over death, what are you scared of? This is what Paul tells us in the first and second chapter. I'm not even scared of that. As a matter of fact, I want to die. And he is not suicidally masochistic. He just knows that heaven is so much better than earth. He says, the only reason I'm living well on this earth is because I have a picture that one day I'm going to be a part of the resurrection. Now, with all that said in, verse, in chapter 3, let's look at verse 12, and here's where I preach a little bit. I don't mean to say, everything I've said, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Watch this. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ has first possessed me. Look at me for a second, and I know we talk about this with the demonic, but have you been possessed? Have you been possessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I talked about this this week and I talked about maybe one day I'll preach this sermon. But you remember the story where Jesus is walking along the Via De La Rosa and he's on his way to the cross and he has been beat up. He's been bloodied. You can see his back and maybe even his kidneys. And so no wonder he cannot carry the cross. And there is this man on the side of the road who the Bible says came from the countryside. He was just minding his own business and a soldier arrested him and forced him to carry the cross. And that's the picture of every believer that when I see the hurting body, I'm going to be arrested. Many of us have lost our arrest. We're out on parole. I won't be arrested for the things that matter. I don't want to be consumed with my own success and my own future. I don't want to be consumed with my own concerns and worries of life. I want to be possessed. Paul says, I am possessed. You you know when a demon possesses somebody? I've seen demonic possess a 14-year-old girl to give her supernatural strength to do things she couldn't do. And you know how hard it is to cast it out? Paul says, that same thing you're thinking about when it comes to the demonic, that's what's happened to me. Jeremiah would say, even in his backslidden state, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I tried not to preach. I tried not to declare the word, but it was just in me. And I want to ask you, are you possessed? Not on Sunday. Do you wake up on Monday thinking about him? Do you go to sleep on Tuesday night dreaming about him? Does he talk to you in your cubicle? Do you ever have to run to the bathroom to wipe the tears down from your eyes just because you're thinking about how good he is or have you been possessed with your own concerns? If anybody could have been possessed with their own concerns, it should have been Paul. He's arrested illegally. He's going through everything he's going through and he's still possessed. A lot of us use our trial to no longer be possessed, but friend, I'm telling you, stay possessed. Whew. Verse 13. And he, he says there, actually in verse 12, hear that out. He says, the stuff I'm telling you, what we're aiming for, what we're going for, I don't want you to think I've already arrived. And look at me for a second. If Paul can say this, why can't you and I? You don't have to walk around. I, and a lot of people, they, whenever I, uh, I don't have an assistant right now, but whenever I hired an assistant, it was so funny, because like the first month, they would be shocked that I don't just walk around the hotel speaking in tongues and floating in prophecy. It's like I, I, I get upset sometimes. I, I want to cuss some people. I don't. I don't out loud. But I want to cuss some people out, you know. It's like I get short-tempered with things. And Paul gives me permission as a leader because he's the founder of the early church, one of the founders. He gives me permission as a church planner who's struggling to stay in faith and stay encouraged. He says, it's okay that you have some bad days. I've not possessed it all either. I'm not perfect. And I want to give you grace to no longer fake it. Look at me for a second. You need grace to no longer fake it. I am tired of asking people how they're doing and all they say is okay. Stop lying. Start scaring people and tell them the truth. And let the chips fall where they may. At least in this house, we're going to learn how to be honest with each other and say, we've got some bad days. Because Paul said it. He says, I've not reached perfection. I don't have it all together. I still mess up sometimes. And look at verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this, how many things? I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, reaching forward to what lies ahead, and I press to the mark of the high call. Wait a minute, Paul. Either you can't count, or the translators did a horrible job. Because you said when you're going through stuff, there's one thing that you do. And then you gave us three things that you do. You gave us a Unitarian thought with a Trinitarian idealist system. And I'm, I'm confused here. Is it one thing or is it three things? And here's what the Lord spoke to me. Is it three eggs or is it one egg? What do you mean? There's the yolk, there's the membrane, and then there's the shell. But you don't say it's three eggs. You say it's one egg. And if the yolk is missing, you don't have a complete egg. So the one thing is made up of three parts that if you don't have these three parts. Is this too heavy for a Sunday? If you don't have the three parts, you're going to miss the one thing. There's three things I do and a sum up to one thing. This one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. I reach for what's ahead and I press toward the mark of the high calling. You've got to have all three because some of us are forgetting about the stuff that we went through, but we're not doing anything about the future we're going into. And some of us are consumed. I feel like preaching. I'm trying to calm down because I got a little more teaching to do. But some of us are reaching for the future and our success and what we're going to do in destiny. But we haven't dealt with our past. So Paul says, don't yell yet, Dale. There are one thing I do. Here's the three things. Number one, I forget those things which are behind. Now, I know Paul can't be saying to no longer remember what I've been through. Because in another verse, we would be told, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Meaning, if you got a testimony, don't shut up about it. I don't understand Christians who don't talk about their Jesus. That's like somebody who's newly married who's never showing pictures of their wife. I'm nervous. You may be married, but are you in love? I don't know why I said that, but I just feel like beating folks up today Paul said the first thing I do is I forget those things he's not saying to no longer remember because we need to have a testimony you need to remember what you went through to be able to testify of the goodness so what is Paul saying when you read the word there and you look it up in the original language it's a word that means to no longer nurture it's not about whether to look behind you or not it's how you look it's how you look are you looking to nurture the pain are you looking to heal it? See, many of us are looking at our past, and you know there's only w- w- certain things that you nurture. If I sat here and nurtured Andrew, that would be quite weird. You don't, you don't nurture developed things. You, le- you nurture infant things, and they never grow up. And some of us are nurturing the pain, the breakup, the court cases, the jail time, the childhood, and we need to go back into our past, to see it healed, not to pet it. Look at what they did to me, see it? And that's why some of you can't really plug in into this church because you're still nurturing your last ones. Oh, I, I came to fight today. I came, I, I came for blood today because some of you have been here for a long time, still don't get plugged in, you still don't talk to anybody, you still don't hang out after service, you, you, you just come because you like the preaching, you love the worship because at the last church that you went to, Kelly's up here talking about pastors and honoring pastors. See, see, that's what, see, I'm, see, they're they're all about their pastors. Because at the last church I went to. All right, y'all don't like these points. Let me give you one that you like. The reason your dating life is not successful right now is because, yes, you're trying to date George, but you ain't got Benny out of your system. No, 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 y'all didn't want to amen me before, so I'm just, nah. It's all good. I'll keep going until I, y'all say something. You say ouch or amen. But, but I've seen this happen. I watch this in counseling sessions where, friend, this relationship will never be successful until you stop nurturing the last one. Yeah. Not only that, the language that Paul is speaking here is sports language. It's racing language. And I remember uh, I did track and field for a minute. And when I say a minute, I literally did it for one time. I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> I, you mean just we just run? That's no ball, no nothing, uh, Oh, and okay, yeah, no thank you. But my brother, he was a little bit of a track star. He's the skinny one of us. And uh, I don't hold it against him. I no longer nurture that. Um, But I remember there was this one time, he was pretty good, I don't remember any of his stats, but I remember there was this one time where he was racing and he was about to win and then he looked back. Later on, we asked him, he said, why the heck did you look back? He said, I wanted to see if anybody was close to me. And, And Paul is using the language of a foot race to say that anybody who's racing shouldn't be consumed with what's behind them. Comparison is killing the body of Christ. That's why all of our churches look the same. All of our worship sounds the same. All of our preaching sounds the same. It's because no, no, nobody is looking at the right direction. We're looking behind to see what's the other pastor doing? Come on, what's the other person in my field of work doing? And we're filing ourselves, like my brother, falling behind because we were never made to look behind. The last thing I'll say about this, I was reading the book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter, Levinte. And in the sixth chapter, Paul tells us that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in warfare. So to put on the whole armor of God. But then he gives us every armor piece except for something to shield our back. I believe two reasons for that. Number one, I believe that we're called to walk in community. You get my back, I got yours. We are the Charlie Angels of the gospel. But not only that, I think that there's no covering for the back because Paul assumes that if you are a believer, you're not planning on retreating. Oh, on. <laughs> that was way better than you said amen. So I'm going to say it again and give you a second chance. Paul expects that if you're a believer and you're running this race, you're not going to be looking behind you. He's, he's telling us in Ephesians 6, I'm going to give you armor in every place. And not to say that maybe their backs were covered, but I think it's important that it's not identified because you were not born to retreat. I know you want to. I know you feel like throwing in the town. Some of you, this is your last chance at church, your last chance at Jesus. What do you think you go do? Backslide? <laughs> You've obviously not tried it. Backslider is the worst, in the worst condition he could ever be in because you know too much about God to enjoy the world, and you're in the world too much to fully enjoy God. You plan on going back to who? You ever look at somebody you dated and go, Their teeth, the cross-eyed. When you go to another stage in life and you get healthier and you you stop dating at the level of your low self-esteem, you kind of look back and just, I don't know why I keep hitting dating. There must be some apps open in the room tonight. You ever look and you just go, man, what in heaven or hell was I thinking? Well, listen, Johnny had broken teeth when you met him. You were in love with him with his cockeyed self. You were just so blinded that you didn't notice. I don't know why I'm talking about this at all. I know what I'm talking about. I'm just being messy. What do you mean go back to retreat? Friend, we're forgetting where we came from. And let me tell you this, and I feel this in my spirit, stop letting people hold you to your past. Listen, I'm I'm better than Apple products and you still gotta update me. There are people who will meet me 10 years later and be like, you're so different. Well, I was supposed to stay exactly the same. Why aren't you different, as a matter of fact? You're supposed to be changed. And, and come on, we all know what it feels like going back home, and they treat you like that 12-year-old that left the house. Try to treat me like a 12-year-old if you want to. I've grown up, and I need you to grow up your perception of me. And I'm not going to ever force you to see me a certain way, but you won't treat me like I used to be. And there are some people that you get around, and their presence reminds you of where you came from, and you start getting tempted. Paul says, forget. Yeah. I want you to look ahead. Because if you look behind you, you're not going to be focused on the race that you've gone. Or that you have going on. But not only do I want you to forget, the second thing you need to do is to be able to reach. Now, I like this word because when I looked it up, it doesn't really mean reach. It, it means... um." And I feel like preaching, so I'm going to take it off the stand. Sorry, Levente. Um, It it doesn't mean to um, just reach, because that's what you think of when you think of reach. You think of this passive, like, oh, it's right in front of you. The word there means to strain forward. To strain forward? Um, This phone is right here. I don't have to strain to get it, but I'm reaching for it. So that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying there are some things that you're going to have to reach for that are, watch this, because Christians don't like this part, that are hard. Because we think that because we pray, God is obligated to make it easy. Friend, you are praying for stuff he's not going to answer. He's not going to make it easy because he wants you to strain through it because there's some growing up you need to do. Some of you have given up your whole life. Give up on giving up and learn how to strain a little bit. I'm not talking about striving. There's a difference between striving and straining. We're not doing things in our own flesh, but you got to learn how to keep reaching when the bills are due. Reach and strain. With tears in your eyes, you got to learn how to keep straining. You can't stop preaching just because you're going through a little bad thing in life. No, you got to keep straining for it. You got to keep reaching for it. I, it's almost like I think about Moses. When Moses was leaving Egypt, he's getting ready to go to his promised land, but God forgot to warn him about the obstacles. He didn't tell them he'd have to spend 40 years in the wilderness. He didn't tell them he would have to lead 1.2 million crazy people who want to go back to slavery because the buffet was better. Could you imagine? It's like, we want to go back to Egypt because they had watermelon. Listen. Because it's, like, it's not like us. We, we get in a desert season, a dry season, that's kind of boring. And it's like, because you know what manna is. Manna, it, it literally is coriander seed and flour and water. It's not much. I've made it before. It doesn't taste. I made it once because that's how bad it was. Like, manna doesn't taste like anything. Manna literally means, what is this? And I think they called it that because when they first saw it, was like, manna, like, what is this? But by like, <laughs> but like, but like by like day 30, it was like, uh... manna what is this? (laughs) And they no longer wanted to be a vegan and they were like, give us some meat and God gives them a meat. And, and, and I want you to imagine Moses is having to lead. You see him leading. I see him reaching. I'm having a problem leading 60 people in our church. I can't imagine 1.2 million disgruntled refugees. Paul gets or excuse me, Moses gets up to the 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 Red Sea and the Red Sea is closed. And God left that out of the 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 ways directions. And and when they get there, here's what God says. Reach out your hand. You missed it. We see Red Seas and we're like, all right, Egypt it is going back. Moses saw a Red Sea, looked up to heaven and got his reach back. Look at me in my good eye. I am begging you to get your reach back. I'm not talking about the times you reach when pastors preaching and encouraging you. Learn how to get your own reach. David got to a place in 1 Samuel, the 29th chapter, that they had stolen his wife. They had stolen his children. They had stolen all the wives and the children of all of his deacons and his elders. He got back. There was no home to get to because it was burned up. And Moses did not call Bill Johnson. He didn't call the prayer hotline. The Bible says that he put on the priestly garment. It was normal for a priest to put it on. But David is not a priest. He's a king. He said, I'm screwed. Flip the script. I don't need a priest for this one. Thank you for your intercession. I appreciate it. God bless you. But there are some things I've got to go to God for for myself. I'm not going to call my accountability partner. No, No, no. There's some stuff that I've got to learn how to watch this, put on my own priestly robes and learn how to. This is what the Bible says in the New King James. David encourage himself and i need you to get your prophetic finger every morning and start encouraging yourself because you're not going to be defeated you're not going to give up you're going to strain a little bit and sometimes straining looks like telling yourself i am the head and not the tail i am above and not beneath i am a lender to this is the part where i'm preaching in case you missed it i'm a lender to nations and i'm not a borrower i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus you've got to let the devil know that all of his plans won't work. We don't talk like this anymore. We get counseling for stuff we're supposed to get prayer for. Now, you know, if you listen to any of our messages, we're all about the counseling. We're all about the inner healing. But there's some stuff your therapist can't do. I know, I know this generation hates it because we want to walk with God that's completely uh, man-made and completely dependent on our own works. And so we don't want to leave it up to God because it's kind of like Russian roulette. Because sometimes he answers. And sometimes he doesn't. And I'm mature enough in the faith after, I don't know, 20-something years of preaching the gospel. Lena, I am grateful for every prayer that God answers. But I look back on my life, and Jaden, I thank him for the ones he didn't. Y'all don't know know what I went through, so you can't get it. But there's some folks that I prayed that God would let me hook up with, and I'm thankful. (laughs) There's some jobs and some careers that I thought I wanted. And he said, no, I was mad then but I'm glad now, there there are some things that you will go through that will require you to seek the Lord, and whether he says yes or says no, it's all an answer. But many of us, we've lost our reach. We like to preach. We YouTube our favorite sermons. This generation loves worship. I don't know how hard we are after the God that we worship. As a matter of fact, and I'll throw this in for free since I'm giving you a bunch of free stuff, Saul loved David when he worshiped. Not because he loved God, he was living in rebellion. He loved it because every time David worshiped, his demons were soothed. I think that's the same thing with a lot of us in this generation. Worship is popular right now. We love you, Ark, who's your favorite? Math City? I got Elevation. No, this is the black side. I've got Tasha Cobbs. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but then nobody's praying. I grew up. We had prayer meetings. We called them dry. We didn't have music. Y'all have music. We had tongues. Yeah. It's like you just start praying in tongues. And the music that we did have, you made them stop playing because it was so distracting because of how bad it was. It's like, and, and this generation loves to worship. We don't spend time in His Word, so we sing about a God we haven't learned about. We, we don't we don't spend time in His presence. And if we do, we do a little two minute a day to keep the devil away. You know. And we've never gone to reach, and I want to encourage you in your prayer life, learn how to strain again. I want calluses on my knees. I I want, I was at a service this morning. Somebody was giving an ordination. I kind of came late because my car, you know, it's my car. And, um, And when I got there, worship had already started, but I just jumped right in. Car messed up, tired as heck. One of my eyes was halfway open. It wasn't until the middle of worship I realized I still had my sunglasses on. Like, I was out of it. Like, giving them a Ray Charles praise, you know. Oh, but I was singing my heart out because I don't care how tired I am. I'm going to keep straining. My pastor got up on stage, and he's like, Dell, Pastor Dell's here. I don't know where you're at. I can't see you, but I definitely can hear you. And I just started laughing because it's not normal for pastors to show up and just, like, be excited about God. Normally, we come to observe how excited you are. I was in a service one time. I won't say the denomination, not because it was Kojic, but I just won't say it. Um, And I was on the stage with the holy man seats, you know, and uh, they were singing. And, you know, I'm going to worship no matter what, but if you sing that song that's been ministering to me, I'm going to lose it. I don't care if I'm sitting in the third heavens. I'm going to lose it, you know. And so I was sitting on stage, and, and I just started dancing. Now, mind you, everybody's got suits on and everything, and it's very sophisticated, very esteemed. Most of the pastors are sitting down in their chair, which I didn't understand. It was like worship is for the little people. And so I'm standing up, and I'm loving on God, and they start singing. Um, I forget what song it was, but they started singing one fast song that I really and I started spinning. Three-piece suit. Collar on forgot where I was, started spinning. And, and you should have saw the pastors look, and the bishops looking at me. They were looking at me like, oh, he must be new. <laughs> yeah, like, he's a new pastor, right? It's like, now, friend, I've been in this for 10 years, but I think about the times where I couldn't make my own way and he made a way where there seemed to be no way and they saw me dancing, they saw me skipping, they saw me praising, heaven saw me reaching. I've learned how to reach in front of crowds, I've learned how to reach when I'm by myself. You're not gonna scare me into not reaching, I don't care if you like my voice or not, shut up and sit on the other side, I'm gonna reach. Some of you come into service and you passively reach. If it's there, it's there. If the presence of God is so thick in the room, I'm, I'm just gonna engage. If God doesn't move, can you move him? I'm preaching so good today. If God doesn't move, will you choose to move him or will you let your body, your physical body? Because that's what we all do, not just in worship, but in life. We don't fast because it's hard. We don't pray because it's so hard. Yeah, yeah. That's why Paul says you got to strain to get it. You, you got to pray. I remember, man, when I was—and this will encourage somebody, because I love to pray. I pray for hours now. Sometimes when I pray, I, it's—but it didn't start off that way, <laughs> y'all. I would pray, and I'd be like, God, I thank you. I pray for this person, and I pray for that person, and I thank you for revival, and th- I just pray for everything. Two minutes. oh gee. Okay, I pray for China, Mongolia. All of Africa, because I don't know the countries except for Nigeria and South Africa. I pray for Latin America. Lord, five minutes. No joke. And one day I challenged myself. I was like, I'm going to go seven minutes for a whole week. And then the next week, I'm going to go 14 minutes. And then after that, I'm going to go 20. I'm not going to lie to you. It took me a little longer than a month to get on, on my target goal. But I'm at the place where if I don't spend time with God, something feels off. Like, some of y'all can leave the house without even talking to Jesus after he done woke you up and put you in your right mind, put food on your table and clothes on your back, and you just walk out the house. If I walk out the house without spending time, I'm like, like, my attitude's bad without him. Like, it's, it's bad with him. It's worse. <laughs> and it's just something's off because I've so trained myself in good days and bad days. Keep straining for what's ahead. I need you to be encouraged. It's not supposed to be easy, baby girl. It's not supposed to, 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 to not be difficult for you, bro. You're supposed to go through some tough stuff, but they're not a sign that you're outside of the will of God. It's a challenge for you to keep reaching. Sometimes come to church on Sundays, reach. Don't say amen too loud. I get it. I'm the pastor of the church. And I have some days where I'm like, maybe Andrew feels like he has a word today. Because <laughs> no, the Bible says even young men grow weary. It's, it's normal to go tired, but can you keep reaching even in the midst of your tiredness? Not only does he say, I reach, but I press. It's this pressing, the, the language there, it's almost like when my brother would end the race, he would press forward because he was aiming, watch this, for his destination. Paul says, I want you to do that. I want you to lean forward. I want you to press forward knowing that the mark of the high calling is not a better job. Come on. The mark of the high calling is not a wife. It's like I hear people saying, I'm just going to honor God in my singleness because I'm preparing for my marriage. Are you going to stop when you get married? Like we have this idea that if I press after God and the things of God, everything that I want will be given to me. And we quote scriptures wrong. The Bible says he'll give me the desires of my. Life. That's the first part. I mean, second part. The first part says for those who delight themselves in the Lord, you don't even like God. Oh, no, Pastor Dell, I love him. Yeah, why don't you spend time with him? How come he misses your voice? How come you haven't talked to him? And I'm not talking about even that time in the morning that you spend. But you'll catch me. I remember one time I was walking down the street when I was a young person. I, I'd read this book by Brother Lawrence uh, called "The Practicing the Presence of God. And he would just walk and talk with God. And I just remember there was this idea in me of like leaning into that. It's almost like pressing, like what Paul says. And there was a Sunday I was walking to church because I didn't have a car. Some of y'all don't have a ride, and you stopped coming to church. Listen, <laughs> I wish you would. I used to catch two buses and two Barts just to get to church, and I was walking to church, and as I'm walking to church, I didn't recognize it, but I knew I was praying. I get to church, and one of the associate pastors who had seen me while he was driving past me and not offering me a ride, but I forget those things which are behind me. He said, I saw you walking. I said, oh, you did. He said, he said, are you okay? I was like, man, I'm good. I feel full of faith. I'm excited for what God's going to do. He goes, man, it looked like you were really angry. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you were walking down the street. It looked like you were yelling at somebody. Were you on the phone? I was like, oh, I was just pressing. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean, Dale? I didn't, obviously, I didn't tell him pressing because I didn't know I would preach this message. If I knew I was going to preach this message 20 years ago, I would have said pressing because it would have made a better story. <laughs> but I looked at him and I said, you know what I'm doing? I was just doing a little bit of spiritual warfare. I, I, I was telling them the story, I said I start talking to Jesus and the devil started getting in the way. Yeah. <laughs> y'all, I used to, y'all think I'm crazy now, I was nuts when I was a young person. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, I was just trying to talk to Jesus. And all of a sudden, the devil started reminding me of different things. Little th- I just, I literally, I'm not like, I was like, you stupid idiot. Like, get out of my, and I started going off. I remember it because I was mad because I was having a good time with Jesus. And the devil had the nerve to, to whatever. And I get to the church, and I'm telling oh, I was just praying. And he looked at me so strange. He's like, man, you're so young to have such a prayer life. I was like, I, it's not even a prayer life to me. My whole life is about him. It's not strange for me to be walking down the street talking to them because it's not a compartmentalized faith for me. I have learned how to lean in. I've learned how to press. As a young person, I was so desperate. Everybody else after church was going to the corner store and hanging out in the fellowship hall. I was with these old eight overweight black women who knew how to pray. Were you there as a 13-year-old kid? Del? were you there just, you know, to be a part? No, I was learning how to press. I was learning how to lean in. There was a time, even in that prayer meeting, San Francisco had a lot. This was before human traffic was like a a, a known thing. Uh, San Francisco was known for its dirty massage parlors. And the head intercessor was like, we're going to lay hands and pray that every one of them shuts down. And we start praying. The following week, it was in the newspaper, 99, I think it was 99, close to 100, um, of these massage parlors had been raided by the FBI and shut down. Now, you could think it's because of their research. But I'm 14 years old going, Prayer really does work. And some of us haven't gotten that revelation because we don't pray. We complain. We'll process. (laughs) Can I process with you? Yeah, but can we pray after? I'm down with processing. Listen to me. But can we lay hands on some stuff and cast some devils out? Listen, I'm all down. But there are some of your children. Just pour oil on them. They won't let me pray for them. They don't have free will. They're not even 18. You don't get free will till you start paying your own cell phone bill. I remember I hated when my grandmother would pray for us because she takes so long to pray. And so I started like getting mad. She'd start, I'd start waking up. I know this dead serious. I'd wake up with oil all over my face like random mornings, like what the heck was going on? I have memories of my grandmother waking me up at two and three in the morning with her praying, and I was just like, oh, I'm just so exhausted. And now I'm so grateful, because I don't see grandmas praying anymore. Grandma's in the club twerking now. But those seasons taught me how to, watch this, how to lean in, that I pressed toward the mark, and it taught me that the goal was not a bigger uh, bank account. The goal was not a better house or a nicer car. Paul makes it plain that the mark that we are pressing to is Jesus. In this letter in Philippians, it's almost like Paul, like that word possessed or consumed. He is consumed. He's consumed with Jesus. I told Andrew, Pastor Andrew, a couple months ago, I said, man, we're doing great at community, but our people don't show up to prayer meetings. Our people don't worship when we're having corporate worship settings. We stand there, and have a little a couple Christian karaoke songs. And I told him, I said, man, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're not going to end up a community center with a little bit of Jesus light on us. He says, I told him, I just want to raise up a people who are consumed. A people who don't just think about him on Sunday when they have to come to church. But a group of people who say, I've been living by faith all week. I can't wait to explode at service. Yeah. Or a people who say, I've been getting it at service. I can't wait to explode on the streets. I want to be possessed by him. I want, to, I, want my, I want to be known at the end of my life, not for succeeding, but for pressing. I'm almost finished. Are y'all getting anything this morning or this evening? What verse was I on? Not even halfway through. The rest of it is going to be quick. Me and Sarah uh, were laughing at at MFI because the preacher would have like three minutes left. And then they'd be like, and now I want to give you the points of my sermon. You should have done that 25 minutes ago. (laughs) Verse 15. Let me finish with verse 14. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree... Some point, I believe God will make it plain. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm not about to argue with you about this. Some of you are saying, man, this is so extreme. You want me to live my whole life about him? And Paul says, some of you are going to disagree on some of these points. He says, I don't care. (laughs) God's going to show you. Can we give up on arguing with other Christians? All right, that point didn't go well. Let me look back at my notes. If they don't say amen, move on. Verse 16. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. He's saying don't lose heart. You've gone, you're going through some stuff right now, but don't withdraw. Don't retreat. And I want to encourage many of you. Look at me for a second. You're going to go through some stuff. Please don't withdraw. I, I don't mean just from the presence of God. I mean from the presence of his people. Some of you need some Aaron and hers in your life. Moses was raising his hand and every time he would raise his hand, the battle would be won, but his hands would get tired and they would fall. And his brothers and sisters, they would hold up his hands so that we that's what it that's what it should feel like to be a believer. That there are. Look at me for a second, because some of you, I need you to hear me. The reason you keep losing the battles is because you keep fighting them by yourself. I need you to stay in community. I remember telling somebody who's going through a really rough season at the beginning of this year, I said, man, show up ugly. Show up with your eyebrows not on fleek, with your lace front just it may look like a hoodie. Show up anyway. <laughs> All of the Asian people, lace front? Just ask a black or Latino person afterwards. They'll tell you. It's like, it, But I, to, I remember telling them, keep showing up. Keep showing up even if you don't worship. If you sit there, ain't nobody going to be mad at you. I'm going to talk about you from the stage, but that's it. I was like, keep showing up. Here's why. Because sometimes I need your faith to rub off on me. This is such a good message. I wish I was sitting where you are. Verse 17. We're almost finished. This is the end of it. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before and say it again with tears in my eyes. That there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Stop for a second. Does this not describe our generation? This generation isn't ashamed of anything. Now, I I believe if you're a believer, there's no shame on you. But you don't feel bad about anything. This generation will do whatever it takes and feel no shame. He says there are a group of people on this earth who their God is not Jehovah. This is what he says. It's their appetite. What he's saying there is they keep giving in to their carnal nature, and their carnal nature is what they serve. I hate having to say this to you because I don't like this word. But if we took inventory of your life, who'd be your real God? I'm not trying to judge you. I'm really not. It's almost like a statement that the psalmist said, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked ways. He was saying, take inventory of my life. If I looked, we don't even have to look at your life. If I just looked at your bank account and your calendar, who would I say that you serve? well, Pastor Dale, I spend eight hours a day at work, so come on, I can't pray for eight hours. But why are you working? Are you doing it for the money? Or is your mindset missional? I'm not saying ever create, because dear God, please don't all become pastors. We need more of you, but we don't need all of you. We need pastors in the marketplace. We need John to be a venture capitalist. We need Lena to work in the school district. We need Kelly. What do you do again, Kelly. All we know is you make a lot of money, that's all we know. In Jesus. she's like, <laughs> I love messing with Kelly every week. But even while you're at that job, or you're at that college, you're at that school, is about succeeding while you're on this Earth and fulfilling your carnal desires? or is it man? I really want to sew into a missionary. I'm not going to save up for the new electronic that I want. I'm going I'm to save up so that we can bless the house of God. I'm going to save up so I can help a single mother out. I'm going to save up one of my dreams. One of these days we're going to do it when we're not poor ourselves. We're going to take an offering on Mother's Day and then give every ounce of it to every single mother in our church. Because even building this church is not about building a church. It's really about building the kingdom. Before I move on, the disciples it, are the epitome of this. You remember in John chapter 4, Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. If Jesus says I must, just stay with him. If he has a mandate, it's almost like Jesus is telling us what Paul said. I have been possessed and I've got to go through Samaria. Why? Because there's this woman by the well who doesn't believe that men will ever love her again. But I need to show her that the six men that have abused her, that have passed her to the side, I'm the seventh and perfect man. Sim, help me out on the keys really quick. The disciples missed this encounter with the woman at the well. well Sim's well, fine. Look at me. Look at me. Give me your attention. <laughs> the disciples should have been there at the well with Jesus. But what does the Bible say? They asked Jesus, Sim, come on, Sim, hustle, 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 because you're missing my romantic moment. I'm trying to build up. <laughs> No, but, but hear me out. The disciples, watch this. Somebody, come on, give me your focus. Y'all, right here. Because I, I really need you not to miss this. The disciples came back from eating out. Before the story even goes down, they look at Jesus and they say, you want, you want some? You want some food? And what did Jesus say? My, will, my food, my meat and drink is to do the will of my father. He was saying, my nutrition, my, the thing, my intake is not calories, it's his will. I, I, I want to eat and be possessed by his will. They missed a supernatural God moment because they were hungry. Because they were willing to feed an appetite that was not spiritual. I get it. Yo, please hear me. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not trying to be legalistic and say you should never watch Netflix because I have Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and I'm borrowing Pastor Andrew's HBO. I love watching TV. I, I love relaxing. Don't bother me on Monday because all I'm doing is sitting on my little uh, bag in my living room watching stuff. I won't tell you how I'm watching because it's not appropriate, but um, I'm watching my stuff that... This is the problem with having ADHD as a pastor. You just have a lot of thoughts that go through your head. So this is not a message saying you shouldn't enjoy the pleasures of life. This is a message that says don't make the pleasures of life your God. We are so pain averse. I just don't want to experience pain. I thought about showing this video, and if you have a chance, I encourage you to Google Francis Chan, and I think it's like gymnastic beam or something. But you guys know gymnastics, right? When they are on that one beam, and they're doing this stuff, and so Francis Chan is making a point, and he's saying like a lot of Christians think that they're like this world-star Olympian that's doing flips and all that kind of stuff, and then we kind of jump off of it. And you know how they do at the end, it's like, oh, oh. that's my best attempt. <laughs> The example he makes, Francis Chan, is that he says, um, it's like some of you are going to just play it safe and just kind of tiptoe on this beam. You're not going to do any tricks. You're just going to have a nice house, nice car, 401k plan, just not stir any trouble. And then you're going to jump off and get to heaven and be like, look at what I did. Right. It's like, hey. And we spend our whole life playing it safe with a dangerous God. Why am I saying this? Because a lot of the reasons why we make our appetite the things of this world, why we make our appetite our own God, is because we're afraid of pain. We're afraid of going through. And so we talk about singleness like it's the tribulation. I'm just going through tribulation, like singleness. It's like because we're always consumed with our own desires. Can you fix this mic for me? Please, It's ringing. ring it. It's like we're always going through our own selfish desires. And Paul says, don't make your appetite with God. And here's the finality of chapter three. He's really telling you, be possessed with a higher call. Please, if you don't hear anything else I said, one day you will die. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he will judge, not how you lived on Sundays. It's okay, guys. Just If we can't get it, just keep it off. It's full. He will not just judge how you lived on Sunday. He's going to judge, were you consumed? Was, was your life about him? Now, I'll be honest with you. Pastor Andrew knows I don't walk around thinking about Jesus every minute of every day. I think about food, too. Every now and then I think about a potential wife. You better believe I was at MFI conference. like. Come on, God, give me eyes to see. Especially the group from Puerto Rico, in Jesus' name. I'm not saying we're going to walk around just, you know, please, if I ask you how you're doing, you're like, I, I remember I had a person who did this one time. I was like, how you doing? How you doing, uh, sis? And they would look at me, I'm doing. I'd be like, that escalated quickly. I'm not talking about being a weirdo. But I'm talking about if you step back, I want you to even do this today. Look at your life and go, why am I working? What's the purpose? Why am I doing all these things? And it's so funny. Somebody came to me because I do a lot of fundraising because I'm planting a church in the most expensive region in the Bay Area. And they looked at me and they said, man, Pastor Dale, you talk a lot about money. You don't, you don't need money. All you need is faith. And I looked at him and said, why do you go to work? <laughs> he said, if all you need is faith, why are you working and laboring for more money? And they fooled me. And they started telling me about how much money they were saving up so that they could do missions. I was like, ah, oh, you got me. <laughs> you win. <laughs> But that taught me a lesson that you can have a career that's non-vocationally ministry and you could still make it all about him. I know you work in the school district and you can't go around laying hands on kids even though you want to. Suddenly. There's a new challenge I heard right now. It's like slap the teacher challenge. I was like, I bet you that ain't happening in Oakland (laughs) because we're going to have a slap a student challenge. (laughs) There's some teachers in Oakland like, I've been waiting for this challenge so I can have a good reason. <laughs> but I'm asking why you're at that job, why you're at that career, why you're in your family. I know you've turned your heart at because they're so dysfunctional. I get it. My, my older sister is a drug addict. My younger brother is bipolar, schizophrenic. And there are some times where I want to introduce them to Jesus like right now and not by way of prayer. I want them to meet him personally they get on my nerves. I, I was saying, I want to kill them. That's, some, some, some of y'all are like, where's this going? But I look at my family and even in my frustration, I have to take a step back and go, I'm not just their brother. I'm their pastor. Yeah. And not just cause I'm a pastor. You're your parent, your kid's pastor. Mm-hmm. I had somebody come to me when I was a youth pastor and was like, Oh, we need a new youth pastor. I said, we need new parents. Your kid spend 90 minutes with me a week. The rest of the time, they spend it with you. When I become a parent, which is hopefully soon because I plan on fostering to adopt. When I become a parent, watch this. I don't need a youth pastor. I am my kid's youth pastor. I'm their children's pastor. I'm their senior pastor. I'm all of it. Because even when I come to my family, we're not just building a family so we look nice in Christmas pictures. We're trying to do kingdom business. Some of you give your kids choices to go to church. (laughs) It's like, what? I wish I had a choice. I was on the church drug program. I got drugged to Sunday. Drug to Sunday night, drug to Monday night prayer meeting, drug to Tuesday night board meeting, drug to Wednesday night Bible study. We had youth service on Friday. We had sometimes to help out with an outreach on Saturday, and it worked. I had a parent, and I'm almost done because I feel like harping on the parents for a moment. I had a parent come to me and say, well, I just don't want to give them too much Jesus, or like church stuff because then they'll turn away from God. I was like, you don't think that way about their schooling. Nobody goes, my kid's spending way too much time in school. They're going to be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but we think these things. I don't want to get too consumed with God. I don't want to get too consumed. Why? So you'd be more like wow. Him. Yeah, yeah. I want to see him one day. Stand with me. Philippians chapter 3 is about a couple things. One, he's telling you, we're not Judaizers. Like, we're not around here saying, you know, what, what? You, you should circumcise and not circumcise and following the law.